Welcome to No Teacher Left Behind with Christine Hurt and Natalie McIntosh for humorous musings from the teacher's lounge. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Christine. How are you today? Doing all right, I think. Good. Spring's coming. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. So uh, today, I'm just going to jump right on into the topic here. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about standardized testing. Bum, bum, bum. It's the bane of every (laughs) teacher, student, and parent's existence um, ever. And there's, it's, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit. The reason this was came to my mind particularly now um i've talked about before you know we did the red for ed march and that was that's part of this virginia educators united group who right. organized that and mobilized teachers for that action um and i've been following their facebook group um ever since and um not too long ago somebody posted about um, trying to talk to other educators, especially educators who were parents, and talk about opting their kids out of taking the SOLs at hmm. the end of the year. And for those of you who either aren't from Virginia or don't have kids in school, um, the SOLs are the standards of learning. And every time I tell my mom, who lives in Missouri, anything about the SOLs, <laughs> she just giggles every time. Yeah. <laughs> because it usually means something else um and uh so sols those are the standards of learning those are the curriculum standards that we are supposed to teach to it's not a curriculum it's just the standards it's sort of the virginia answer to common core right um and so they have standardized tests at the end of the year every year starting with third grade and in high school you need to pass a certain number of sols in order to get verified credits to graduate. Um, But, and I did not really realize this, but it's apparently fairly easy to opt out your child from taking the SOLs at the end of the year. You just tell the administrator, I don't want my kid to take the SOL. Done. Um, And their feeling was having teachers sort of take a stand on this, opting their kids out, would send a message about how we feel about the um, effectiveness and purpose and usefulness of this time. And so I had a conversation with my husband about it because our daughter's in kindergarten this year. So we've got three years before we have to worry about it. But I am me and it's nothing to have a conversation three years in advance. That makes total sense to me. So (laughs) um, and I said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And um, and one of my first thoughts on it was, you know, I, I, I get it. I get what you're trying to say. But other than having your child sit in the library during the testing time, it really doesn't change anything about your child's educational experience because they're still going to be getting the same curriculum. They're still going to be, quote unquote, teaching to the test. Like your child's going to be in the same classroom every other day of the year. It's right. not going to change anything for them. Right. Um, and um, so I had this conversation with my husband about it. And I thought, oh, I'd really like to talk to Natalie about this, another teacher, and kind of get your thoughts on it as well. Um, Because I feel like on the one hand, standardized testing is extremely flawed. Um, And we all kind of know that. Um, 
And I'll talk in a minute about why, you know, some of the flaws that I see in it, right, or some of the things right. that I think about it. Um, and I welcome your thoughts on, you know, if there's areas that I'm not thinking of that are also flaws. Um, but also, I feel like, you know, we do kind of need to measure if schools are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right? Right. So then what is the answer to that? We'll talk about that too. Okay. So what I want to start off with, what we all know, which is that they're super flawed and have a ton of problems. Okay. Um, and one of the questions to ask here is like, what are they testing? What is being tested with these <laughs> tests? Well, I'll tell you what I think is being tested. <laughs> Bring it on. The student's ability to take a really long test. Yes. <laughs> that's basically my thought on it is that's what you're really testing yeah sorry about that i was reading through my purse because <laughs> yeah. there's a quote on my phone that i want to share with you in a minute but um no i think that's the number one thing that is being tested with that is their ability to sit through a test <laughs> that's really long yeah. and um and i'll tell you what it is not testing this end of the year test it is not testing any of the soft skills that I hope we are teaching students, mm. um, you know, how to persevere, how to be considerate of others, how to take responsibility for their behaviors, how to um, speak in front of other people, you know, all of these skills that they need for being a successful adult. That's not being tested here. And these are things that, while I hope they're learning at home as well, I also hope that we're teaching them at school, you know. How to give a speech, how to, you know, um, work collaboratively on a project. Thank you. There. That's another yeah. good one. Yeah. <laughs> you, know. you know, how to collaborate, how to, like I said, persevere, how to take responsibility for your behavior. How to um, set goals and take steps to make them happen. Yeah. These and, are all things that students have to do. Yeah. And if they I realize that they're doing it or not. Yeah. And if I see a student being successful in these areas... I feel like it may not necessarily be as a result only of my work, especially in high school, because they have seven other teachers. Um, and they also, you know, have people outside of school, hopefully, in their lives that are helping them with these things. But I feel good. I feel like, okay, you're being set up for success in life. You may not be able to solve a complicated equation yet, but, you know, you can get there because you have these soft skills. It also does not, I don't think... Um, really test for growth. Mm -hmm. And we've all had students who they may not get that mastery bar at the end of the year, but you saw where they started and you see how far they've come and you are so proud of what they have accomplished that year. And it sucks when they have worked that hard, they have come that far and the SOL tells them, you're still not good enough, man. Yes. You know, because you just feel for that kid like it must be so... It's heartbreaking for you. You can only imagine the heartbreak right. that they are experiencing for that because they feel like, I worked really hard. I've learned a lot. I gave it everything I had. I did everything I was supposed to do. Why am I not enough? Right. And it breaks my heart every time. Um, now, one of my big pet peeves with this whole thing is the assumption... Uh, now... <sighs> Is the treating of 
education is a factory type of system. Yes. Of that the kids are on an assembly line, and so they should all be able to do the same certain list of things by the time they graduate, you know? Yeah. And the other area of this that really irritates me is that the United States is a huge-ass country. Yes. And we've got many different regions, many different uh, peoples, uh, priorities all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we have states. And and I realize that they, they left it up to the states to, like, figure out what they wanted to do. But if you look across the board, a lot of these standards that they have in all of these states are are very similar. Yeah. You know, Pythagorean theorem. Here yeah. you go. And, and that's all fine and dandy. But what it doesn't do is um, kind of feed into... It's it's the type of um, student that you have. The students have different um, places that they're going. Yes. And the standardized testing says, oh, no, you're all going to the same place, so you yeah. need the same set of skills. And yeah. that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, I have um, a student who is very bright and could totally do uh, college-bound material, calculus, whatever, but he really wants to work on cars. Yeah. And, you know, spends all of his extra energy outside of school and everything going and working on cars, taking apart engines, working on engines. And this is just something that he has found what he loves to do. Yeah. And so there's no... um, Yes, he should come out with a certain skill set, but I do agree with you that we're definitely not putting enough emphasis on the soft skills, on the people skills, on the collaboration skills, on the independent learning skills, yeah. you know, the those types of things and putting it more on this checklist of Pythagorean theorem, yeah. zero product property rule, you know, yeah. like... Yeah. Do you understand stuff. the plot of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet? Like, you know, <laughs> which... Don't get me wrong. I feel like being a well-rounded person serves that person well. It serves the community well. Mm -hmm. This is a big part of why I believe in in education. Um, But I also feel like having this singular measure of success, which is the standardized test, like you said, you've got students who are going different places in life. And if we measure all these students by their ability to go to one of these places, well, yeah, a lot of them are not going to meet it but they don't want to they don't need to and they're doing great in so many other areas right and there are a lot of kids who can pass the standardized test they're not doing well in a lot of these other areas <laughs> right and I, I i worry about them and um because they can sit and take a long test they can memorize a bunch of facts and regurgitate them but they can't work with other people They can't speak in front of other people. They can't empathize with other people. You know, these are all skills that are really important for being an adult and being successful at life um, that they just don't, they don't test for. And what ends up happening is that as a classroom teacher, you have to prioritize your time. You know that your students are being measured and you are being measured and your school is being measured by this test. So what are you going to prioritize? Right. That test. Right. That's it. Um, and, uh, and I have a note here to myself. You know, is this accurate? Is it valuable? And I think that's kind of what we're talking about is like, 
Okay, yes. Like the test? Is the test accurate? Is the test accurate? Okay. And it, is the test accurate? Is the data valuable? So I feel like, take for instance, the Algebra 1 SOL exam at the end of the year. I feel like it's fairly accurate. It gives you an accurate uh, result of whether the student knows this set of standards that has been determined students need to know at the end of Algebra 1. Whether I agree with all those standards or not is a whole other topic. The point is, these are the standards they need to learn. This is the test they take. The test evaluates whether they know these standards. I think it's a fairly accurate measure. Okay. Now, is that information valuable to me? I'm not so sure it is. Because mm -hmm. um, I have a note that I've written here to myself that I would say not 100%, but probably 90 Two percent. Um, I'm just throwing that number out there, but a very high percentage. I feel like, as their classroom teacher who has watched them, worked with them, and grown with them all year long, I can pretty accurately tell you who's going to pass that test and who's not. So, how is having the results of that test valuable to me? I already know who knows that stuff and who doesn't. Well, and see, and that's the whole point. It's not for you, it's yeah. a currency to help our school yeah. still have accreditation. Yeah. And, and so you're proving it to others. Look what yeah. I've made my students do this yeah. year. But why can't they <laughs> take my grade book? And then here's and the thing. Here's my... Because I feel like my grade book is an excellent reflection of that same information. And the big global issue here is not even standardized testing specifically. It's we do not trust teachers. Thank you. We don't trust them. Yeah. And it's like that bathroom hall pass policy thing <laughs> of like, uh, you know, if, if you're a teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like instead of creating this blanket policy to cover everybody, even the teachers who are monitoring hall passes really well. Yeah. Why aren't you just talking to the ones that you have issues with? Why are you trying to make a broad blanket? There's yeah. schools who are getting results. Yeah. Colleges knows who, who these high schools are. Yeah. They know that a grade from this high school is different than a grade from this high school yeah. over here. Um, what is wrong with just focusing all the, the energy on the schools that do need the support yeah. rather than, Hey, I have a great idea. Yeah. Let's create a big old report card for yeah. every school in the nation. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me, I told you that this all came to mind because I had this conversation with my husband. My husband is not an educator. Um, his teacher, his teacher, his mother was a teacher. <laughs> his wife is a teacher. So he knows the world of education somewhat. And he's also, I'd like to think, a pretty intelligent dude. Um, <laughs> so I like having these conversations with him. And sometimes I like having conversations like this with him specifically because he's an outsider. So I think it gives me that perspective of somebody who's not maybe entrenched in educational jargon or whatever mm -hmm. um but he kind of said a similar thing which was you know not only are we not trusting teachers not only like i can give you my grade book you see who knows it and who doesn't and the percentage of students who have learned it this year like there you go we're done um but that you know and it goes back to i said earlier i feel like we kind of need some measure of our certain schools doing what they need to be doing or are they not? And he said, you know, okay, that's true. But I feel like he felt like, you know, the state, um, through, you know, requiring these standardized tests and using these as the measure for that, it's, uh, the 
lazy way of managing and the lazy way of solving that problem because you could get that same information by sending people into the schools and working with the administration and working with the teachers and seeing right. what's going on day to day in those schools and seeing if those schools are really performing, seeing if, okay, so the teacher's grade book says everybody passed, but is that just because they're, you and know, passing that's everybody? That's how the accreditation process works in private schools yeah. is they form a committee, the, yeah. like the Virginia Association of Independent Schools. They form a committee, mm -hmm. uh, representatives from a bunch of different independent schools, yeah. And they send them to the school that's under accreditation uh, review review that yeah. that year. And you know, I've been through a few. And boy, do they go over everything. Nothing like sending a bunch of academic nerds to go and <laughs> yeah. review and grade something. Yeah. I mean, they are very thorough, mm -hmm. and it's great because they can see the person to person human yeah. interaction. They can and they write up a report. Yeah. But you're right. That's it's costly. That's costly. It's time intensive. It's labor intensive. You have to have education nerds that get yes. paid to do this. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, so the state government says, well, that costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. Or, you know, we'll just do these standardized tests. But what irritates me is that that's also expensive. Like Pearson gets a lot of money from our state and other states for the tests for the materials that teachers are supposed to use to prepare students for the tests. You know, Pearson makes the test and they make the preparation materials for the test. So it's kind of a racket if you ask me, <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I think it's, even though it's a lot of money that goes to Pearson for this stuff, it's still probably cheaper than the better solution of sending in a, you know, um, a committee or a board of people who know what they're doing to go in and face-to-face -face put their eyeballs in the school and figure out the answer. Is the school doing what it's supposed to be doing or not? Right. Um, and so because they go this, this cheap route, then you have all these other issues. You know, it's stressful on the kids. It's not really valuable information. Um, and I want to read this quote. So I also, on boardteachers.com, you had shared this, this article about standardized testing in, in a Word doc a long time ago. Anyway. Oh, great. Um, this quote here that I want to read from this board teachers article. Um, it says, recent studies in five states as presented by The Conversation, which I don't know what that is. Um, anyway, demonstrate that. Accurate predictions can be made about student proficiency data based solely on characteristics of their communities without consideration of the schools or teachers themselves. So what they're saying is that they've done these studies and they've found that they can predict how many students will pass the test just by looking at factors in the community. Not even at the schools Not even or the, the school students or, or the, <laughs> the academics. Simply by, and this is back to the quote again, simply by examining community and family data available through the U.S. Census, analysts managed with astounding accuracy to predict the percentage of students who would score proficient or above on their state tests. Specifically, these studies focused on variables such as the percentage of community members living in poverty and the percentage of community members with bachelor's degrees. So that's the predictor of who will pass, how many students will pass. Teachers have no control over that. Wow. Schools have no control over that. <laughs> that's mind-blowing. <laughs> 
But teachers and schools are evaluated based on that data. Which goes back to that whole thing. If it's it's distrust of teachers yes. in general. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. And, oh, now I've lost it. I had something because you said something earlier that made me think of that um, as well. It went back to that idea of of the dist. Oh, I know what it was. You were talking about, like, I can show you my grade book and it aligns pretty well with who passed that test right. and who right. didn't. And I think there's this distrust of teachers. It's like. You know, so they don't take a grade book as data. We have mm -hmm. to have the standardized test as the data um, because we don't trust the teachers. And there seems to be this like trope somewhere in there that it's because teachers will just, you know, they just want to look good. So they'll just give everybody a good grade. And I think to myself, if you actually knew teachers, you would know that's not a thing. <laughs> that's like true. that's and that's, if there are teachers like that, there's like one. Yeah. And also <laughs> it's like and the administration knows who that teacher is. And they should be dealing with that teacher. Exactly. You know, Instead the board should come in and deal a with a bathroom pol uh -huh. pass policy for yeah. the entire school. Yeah. Go to the teacher where there seems yeah. to be students leaving willy nilly. Yeah. You know, just yeah. deal with that class. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And administration knows what those classes are and who those teachers are. And again, it's just, you know, we want to, you know, standardized testing is sort of this lazy and impersonal way of dealing with that. And, and it's like one of these things that uh, politicians or whoever can just hold up and go, look, we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it sounds yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. But no. And I think because I know a lot of teachers. I don't know any teachers who are like, yeah, I just pass them. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care yeah. anymore. Oh, my gosh. Because teachers and it might be that I've just been really blessed to work with high quality professional teachers. I don't know. I haven't worked with every teacher in every school, but I feel like the teachers I know take their profession extremely seriously. They're in this profession because they take it seriously because they want to teach students. They want teachers, students to be uh, more educated at the end of the year than they were at the beginning of the year. And that all sounds like super total noble, and it's true. Definitely, yeah. I believe it. But, I mean, we're also human beings. Yeah. I also know that my students are going to go on to the next teacher, and if I haven't prepared them, <laughs> that's going to make me look really bad Yeah. yeah. Um, if they come yeah. in through the door. And it has actually happened to me Yeah. where I was like, oh, I can handle teaching Algebra 1. Bless your heart, Christine. <laughs> I could not handle teaching Algebra 1. There is so much in Algebra 1 that I took for granted yeah. that they oh, need it was definitely a learning for curve. the entire rest of their math uh -huh. career. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can teach Algebra 1, no problem. And uh, But what I was not well equipped with is... I thought my systems that I had for older students would oh, transfer yeah, back. No, they do not. And they do not. Mm -mm. And unfortunately, that year, I struggled a lot with those systems, which indeed led to the struggle of me getting through all of the skill building that uh -huh. they needed for future math classes. Yep. And they were not as prepared as they needed to be for the next level. Yeah. And boy, did I hear about it the uh -huh. next year. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, my first year teaching Algebra so, 1, because it was yeah. the very same thing. The year before, I taught all sophomores. Mm -hmm. And then the then I taught some sophomores in still in geometry. And then I taught Algebra 1, which was ninth grade. And I thought, okay, I've developed some systems and some procedures and some policies and, you know, attitudes. And that will just 
10th grade, 9th grade, what's, it cannot be that different. Oh, oh, they're so different. They're so different. So that year was a huge learning curve for me. And I remember at the end of the year going to all of the teachers who would have them in the next level and just be like, I'm so sorry. I did my best. Please forgive me. Exactly. Um, so we do have that kind of peer-to-peer accountability yeah. going on. You know, we all know who the teachers are in the building, even if we've never talked to them or anything, but just by what, what you hear from the kids and uh-huh. everything, we know who the easy teachers are. Yeah. We know and who you, the ones... Everybody in school has a reputation we and can, everybody knows what that reputation exactly. is. So it should not be that hard for administration to go and work with that teacher uh-huh. to improve their systems yeah. or their rigor or whatever, um, because we all know who they are. Yeah. Um, so... That I feel, yeah, yeah, I feel like that should be kind of in-house type of situation. But we are held accountable by our peers uh-huh. a lot of the times because mm-hmm. they know. Yeah. They know. Um, yeah. Well, and I think, too, you know, so one of my least favorite buzzwords in education is the <laughs> word data. I hate it um, <laughs> because I feel like, again... I don't need to come up with a bunch of data to prove to you how many of my kids know things. Like I can just look at my grade book. I know my kids. I can tell you because I'm a professional and that's my job. Yes. Um, and also I know that as a math teacher, a lot of people don't understand how data works. And <laughs> so that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I also know that there's so many factors that bleed and blend into and behind the data that inform that data that so much of the data is just useless completely. So I remember being in PLC meetings where we would have, so you have the SOL at the end of the year and you have various benchmark tests along the way to see, you know, our kids, okay, it's the end of the first quarter. Do the kids know a quarter of the information? Um, yes or no? Well, I can tell you by my grade book, you know. And also, it's a chance for them to practice t- taking a big test on yes. the computer that is multiple choice, that is, you know, hard or whatever. Um, but I remember my, you know, teaching Algebra 1, and the Algebra 1 team would get together, and we would look at these benchmark scores. And I remember feeling really proud of myself because it was my second year teaching Algebra 1, and when I looked at my percentages of students who had passed this benchmark test with against the other teachers, so one teacher was only teaching one or two sections of Algebra 1, and then I had four sections, and another teacher was teaching all six of his classes were Algebra 1 that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all one subject. And he was also a, he was a veteran teacher. He was a master teacher. That man had, he was the football coach. So he had total control over his classroom. <laughs> yeah, you know, loud, yeah. booming voice. The, the students, I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, he didn't need to do anything. The students were all afraid of him. But in like, <laughs> in like the most loving way, like yeah. it was amazing. Students loved him, but were terrified to mess up in his class. And so they all fell in line and he could get so much taught because his structure in his classroom was impeccable. Um, And so I remember looking at my percentages against his percentages and thinking like they weren't better, but they were on a par with him. And I was like, so, so proud of myself. Oh my God. I'm doing almost as good as this teacher whom I have total incredible respect for. And I respect how much he's able to do in his room. And then at one point in the year I reflected the student makeup that he has and the student makeup that I have are very, very different. 
I had one inclusion class, which meant that I had one class where I had several students with um, IEPs, you know, special education plans. And I had a special education teacher who would push into that class to help support those students and to help support me in my lesson planning and, you know, all this. The other teacher that I was comparing myself against had five out of six inclusion classes. So he was dealing with students who had way bigger struggles than most of my students. So what was truly amazing was not that my scores were as good as his, but that his scores were as good as mine. Yeah. He was clearly the better teacher in this situation because he had taken kids who were miles from the goal. Yeah. And gotten them way closer. I had kids who were 10 feet from the goal. Yeah. You know? And so the fact that our data lined up meant nothing. Yes. Because you're not taking these other factors that is a really, into account. Really good example. Yeah. And and that's something that teachers in schools mildly have control of, how you distribute kids with different struggles into different classes, you know, how mm-hmm. you distribute them and the supports that you get. So I had, you know, one class and I had that special ed teacher who pushed in to support that class. And he had that same special ed teacher in five of his classes. So he had that support, but he still had like, like I said, kids who were miles from the goal. And he brought a lot of them either very close or over the line. And most of my kids are like 10 feet from the goal. Yeah. They just had to like take a couple of steps and we were all there. They probably would have been able to do it without me, frankly. So why is the fact that our numbers are the same helpful or valuable? You know, it, it it's not painting the whole picture yeah. of what what he's able to do versus what I was was able to do. So going back to a question that you asked at the very beginning of like opting out of yeah. these standardized testing. Why it seems like now the whole reason to opt out would be to send a message. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because like can't... you say they're going to be doing the same thing in every other yeah. class. It's just this one day when everybody else is in the lab taking this test, they're going to be over here reading a book. Yeah. Um and then also I worry, you know, cuz I think about, well, what would happen if I did that with my son? He would be so angry with me. Yeah. That, why am I not with my friends? Yeah. No, my, <laughs> and that was one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons I brought it up to my husband was like, okay, so we got three years to figure this out. So let's start having this conversation now, obviously. Um, and I said, you know, is that something that we would consider for our daughter to opt her out of this? Like, do we feel like, you know, that's something that's worth doing? And A... I have a pretty strong boundary in my life um, because I feel like I work in public education. I'm passionate about public education. I am very willing to involve myself in the politics of public education in an effort to bring improvement in that area because I feel so strongly about it. That is my choice. Mm -hmm. It is not fair for me to make that choice for my daughter. So I have to be very careful about choosing what's best for her versus what is sending a message. And, um, and also the particulars in my situation are that, and this is going to sound very super duper braggy, but my child is incredibly bright Mm -hmm. and she started kindergarten a year early, which was a very difficult decision for us. Um, because I, am gifted. And so I grew up, you know, in school in the gifted program in elementary school. And it's, there's this, 
uh, tendency or this, you know, it's really easy to sort of then you get a little bit socially isolated, mm -hmm. you know, and you get very otherized, you know, very easily. Um, and so sending her to kindergarten a year early for that reason was a difficult decision for us because we didn't want to put her in a place that she was socially not ready for, but she seems she's doing really, really great. Her teacher's awesome. And, um, and also I say, I mean, her birthday was like two weeks after the cutoff, oh, okay. you know, so it's not like, right. you know, she's like six months younger than everybody else. She's just the youngest kid in her class by like two weeks. So, um, but she is just incredibly, incredibly bright. And so um, I think we will probably have her go ahead and take the SOL because I don't think it's going to adversely affect her. Right. Um, and I don't know that that's the way that I personally want to send a message. No, that makes sense. To the Capitol. I feel like there are other things that I could be doing that would be more effective use of my time. And I worry that it would, my kid's going to be the only one not taking it. Right. Like, it's just going to make her look weird and she's going to be self-conscious and <laughs> yes. she doesn't need any more help. Yes. In that area. <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like she yeah. needs to just kind of, there needs to be a time and a place for her to just kind of do what everybody else is doing. Right. And, and to fit in in that way. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to teach her about not fitting in and how to cope with that. I don't need to add that to no, her this plate. This is a very good topic to think about because when we 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 find we isolated the issue of like not trusting teachers yeah. and like instead of going and working with the schools that are troubled or the teachers that are troubled and need that extra support to improve yeah. or decide to go somewhere else. Um <laughs> yeah. or what have you making blanket policies doesn't work. And, yeah. you know, I think about this in my classroom because there's a lot of times where my kids aren't worth doing what they need to be doing. And I just really just want to take the lazy way out because uh -huh. really it's only like one kid yeah. that's not doing mm -hmm. what I want to want them to do. And sometimes I just want to take the easy way out and go, all right, if you all turn in, you know, your mm -hmm. notes from today, I'll give you credit and that'll punish that one yeah. kid. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really one kid that I need to deal with. But dealing with that one kid is going to be yeah. really hard because it's going to be this face-to-face -face confrontation. Yes. It's going to take real work yes. to do that, to do it in a way that's not sort of, you know, like calling them out in front of everybody yes. and damaging that relationship, but at the same time holding the line and, you know, forcing that conversation with this kid. It's a lot of work. So it would just be easier just to blanket, have a blanket policy. Yes. You know, and I find that. So many times I've, I've found that with myself. I have done that. I find it with not just in schools, but other jobs I've had. It is such a management technique to pull your entire department into a room and say, this is the problem that we are having. And this is the new policy so that we stop having this problem when everybody in the room knows the two people who have a problem <laughs> with this. And why don't you please talk to them? Because the message that you have sent is the two people who have a problem aren't listening. Yeah. That's why they have this problem. So they're not listening. Everybody else in the room who's already given 108% is thinking, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. I got to start working harder. I got to really bring it. And you're demoralizing literally everybody in your department. Exactly. Whereas if you just go deal with the two people because it's your job <laughs> to do that, <laughs> then the problem gets solved. Exactly. But it's, it's a lot harder to do that. And I feel like, you know... Um, I have not in the past empathized with my managers, but now that you point out that as teachers, we face that same issue mm -hmm. and 
are tempted to deal with it in the same way. I, I have to say it brings a little bit yeah. more empathy to the table for me <laughs> um, to see that, yeah, you know, it's, it is harder, but it's also your job. Yes. It's the job of the teacher in the classroom and it's the job of management. It's the job of administration. And I feel like that means it's also the job of our legislators to step up and do the work that is hard versus this easy band-aid yes. crap that's not helping anybody and is, in fact, probably hurting a lot of students. Definitely. Because, I mean, I don't know how it is for, like, other states, but basically our whole last month of school is just around this whole SOL yeah. stuff. And we then, lose so much time. And we can so be doing much time. cool projects. Yeah. Or just making or sure anything, that we actually really. get through all of the <laughs> yes. curriculum or getting through, you know, okay, say there's 10 different topics that we're supposed to cover throughout the year. Well, I know for a fact that, you know, they're all 10 important, but there's two that are really critical that you understand in a very deep way to be able to be successful at the next level. Yes. Well, I could be spending that last month revisiting those two topics in a really deep way right. and connecting them to the other topics and building this foundation so that you're ready for what's next. Instead, we have like at, at where I teach yeah. uh, a week of testing and then there's uh, other classes that test later and then we have like retakes and everything. So yeah. after that initial week of testing, there's just this holding pattern. Yeah. You're just and, and then that week of people testing, who ta- who've passed, yeah. they're, they're kind of like in a babysitting pen. Yeah, they're done. Which... <laughs> Are you kidding me? That means that there's three weeks of school that they're not doing school. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> and I know parents are probably going to listen to this and be like, well, I'm going to say something to the school. But parents, we don't like it any more than you do. There's not a lot we can do about it. Yes. They're just, I mean, I would love it if there was something we could do about it. I would love it if we could say, okay, you passed the test. Now you're going to go to this other classroom where you're going to have these extension activities. But are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? A bunch of 15-year-olds going to go, oh, well, but I already passed the test. So yeah, exactly. why am I doing this? Like, my grade is done. Why am I doing this? Whereas if we didn't have to deal with If the test was the last thing that you did, was an actual final exam. Right. Then we could be spending those three weeks actually doing things and keeping their engagement. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. No. No, good talk. Yeah. And I, it's one of those things where I wanted to bring it up because I felt like... I know what's wrong. I don't know how to fix it. And I didn't feel like we were going to come out of here like we have solved the problem. (laughs) But I just I needed to get some feedback from somebody else. And and so my question now is, I mean, we're we have not solved the problem and we're not going to in this episode solve the problem. But, you know, is there anything that as teachers we can do to either send a message that this is not helpful. It is harmful or to maybe mitigate some of the, the harm that is done with the standardized testing. And I don't know the answer to that. And at this point I have like, you know, I have like entry thought. I have more questions yes. basically that I want to like go away and, and look into and, yeah. and think about. Yeah. But yeah, I do think it, it things that keep coming back to my mind is this whole, these harmful mindsets that we have if you're not a teacher some of these harmful mindsets against teachers Mm -hmm. that they're the ones to blame they're the ones that you know we have to get into shape yeah you know uh weed out you know and use this test as a way to to get rid of the lemons 
there's teaching mindsets that you and I have talked about that we're going to talk about again. Uh, I want to bring that back up about how teachers, we have to change our mindsets about a lot of things, yes. the way we, we view things. And um, sometimes I think just changing the way we think about things will change actions enough on a kind of butterfly wing level mm -hmm. that it'll okay. ripple through and cause change that way. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where it really has to start with yeah. changing the way that we think about things that we, we got to start valuing ourselves yeah. and our contribution. And yeah. that's why teachers are asking for more compensation. That's why we're asking for, for things through these strikes and stuff uh, is because we're learning that we aren't valuing ourselves yeah. enough. Yeah. We are taking it on the chin when we really should not yeah. be. Yeah. And I, the devaluation of ourselves feeds into the community devaluation of teachers and that lack of trust in our professional knowledge and professional abilities. And it's like this feedback loop of like, then the community doesn't trust us. And so then we, I think a lot of times internalize that and don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our own data. We don't trust our own right. observations when the reality is, then we take these standardized tests and it just throws back at us what we really already knew. Yeah. And you just said it had more to do with community yeah. factors than anything. Yeah. Well, how about we fix the community? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think, I mean, it, it feel like that's something that schools should be definitely a part of is that community raising up you know you um in a previous episode had given that that visual of like you know ships raising the water yeah raises ships the tides, in the water you raise the tide rise. all the boats rise yeah. and i feel like the schools have a part to play in raising those tides but i feel like it's not the only part to the solution well, right now they want the schools to raise the boats without the water yeah. rising yeah <laughs> it's like yeah that's a lot of work yeah and they want and the schools yeah. to it's almost like i think sometimes they become kind of a scapegoat yes you know of you know the schools are responsible for raising this tide or raising these boats and it's like well we are part of the solution yes. for sure yes but there are other parts that have to be a part of there are other Areas of the community that have to be a part of this solution um, in order for the tide to really to really get raised up. And I feel like, you know, this, you know, the more I talk about it and the more I think about it, I really do feel like in a lot of ways, these standardized tests are a Band-Aid solution. You know, it's like, well, let's see what schools are really doing what they're supposed to be doing and praise them and weed out these bad teachers and weed out these bad schools. Um, and I feel like you're not... This is not the way. This yes. is not the way to do it. I don't think it's effective. I think it's clearly not a realistic or valuable or accurate um, measure of what the schools are doing because clearly you can figure out how many people are going to pass this test by looking at a lot of factors that the schools have nothing to do with. Right. So we can't control that stuff. So how are we supposed to affect this? You exactly. know? Um, and yeah. And so I don't know totally what the answer is, but clearly 
part the first standardized test is not. Yeah, the first answer. part is that standardized <laughs> test is not the answer. Yeah, we got that one down. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. something to noodle on. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you that for this one. conversation. Yeah. Are you ready for our question? All right. All right. So one through seven, Brent, pick a number. Four. Ooh, do you have a good story about your interview for your current teaching job? A good story. Well, mm. <laughs> I know uh, you do. I know you do because I know the story of your So interview. I taught two years. Yeah, I taught two years in a middle school and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I'm never teaching again. From what middle I hear, school, middle like, school does that to people. Yeah, it totally ruined me. I was just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Um, so I was working for an online company where I was designing geometry problems that were similar to what you would see on a GRE test yeah standardized test prep now that we're talking about standardized tests (laughs) and so that's what i was doing i was at home with my composition notebook designing geometry problems and it's the friday before school like before teachers go back in spotsy county and i had put in my um resume in for like substitute teacher and whatever and i guess they needed somebody they looked in the system there's my name get a call up from my current supervisor and just saying hi (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we had a teacher decide not to come back this next uh, year. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, when's it start? Oh, Monday. Yeah. And it's like Friday. Yeah. And he's like, can you come in? Do you, are you have any interest in coming in and interviewing? And I remember sitting there going, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm sitting here in my recliner. Don't have a traditional nine to five job. What You know, yeah. this is the life, right? But I was like, sure, I'll come in and, and chat. Um, I go in and there's like certain things that I've, you know, in interviews, I used to get really like, uh, almost like putting on like a performance, Uh you know, I'd be like, I gotta look good. I gotta go out and buy something new. I gotta get my roots done. Yeah. You gotta Gotta get a game all the way. Manny Petty. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. I was, there was no vested interest and I was fine where I was. So I threw on, I think I probably grabbed a once worn pair of pants out of the pile, put those on. (laughs) <laughs> a white button down that just happened to be hanging up um, and just threw on clothes and went in. And uh, they were also dressed in summer wear, you know, yeah. with like shorts and T-shirts uh-huh. and stuff. And uh, and uh, you know, I remember looking, I have a tattoo on my wrist. I remember thinking, well, if they don't like the tattoo, that'll be the end of that interview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but nobody cares. Really. Yeah. Uh, and I go in, I'm sitting there and they're like asking me all these questions. And it was just so liberating to not need it. To not, yeah. to not need the and job. And to really present yourself authentically. Yeah. I was just like, well, this is who I am. What you got? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and to be able to make a very realistic kind of demand, you know, yeah. I kind of, I liked what I saw. I was like, These, this group of people, more than anything, the group of people that I saw, the people I interviewed with and everything, they were just like really cool people. I wanted yeah. to hang out with them. I was like, all right. Yeah. Well, this is kind of cool. And, but to be able to say, look, it's the Friday before school basically starts for teachers. Yeah. And the students didn't come back until like two weeks later, but the teachers were coming back that Monday. Yeah. I'm only going to do it. I had no problems laying down like a request. I'm only going to do it if I only have one prep. Yeah. Just, just one prep. Yeah. And they were like, well, what's your favorite class to teach? I was like, geometry. And they were like, deal. <laughs> Evidently, g- people don't like to teach geometry. Yeah, it's a hard one to find But it was one fit. that I got locked into early yeah. in my math teaching career. And I was like, that's the one I can teach without yeah. 
you know. Yeah, without having to start from any, the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and you know, the next morning they, like, uh, you know, called me up. But I remember that interview experience. Now, you... Was the question in particular, like, to a specific question they asked or something? No, it just or, had a, a story about But that your... was probably my most unique interview experience, yeah. basically because I didn't need it. Yeah. I didn't need it. And I thought, oh, this will be a lark. Sure, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, and then four years later, I'm yeah. still there. So. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a really great place to But teach, I remember, so. like, the little things, the little crazy thoughts yeah. that come in before you go into an interview. Uh-huh. Like, what if they don't like my tattoo? Yeah. And I'm like, well, pff, then I yeah. don't want to work at a place yeah. that won't take all of me. Yeah. You know? And that's okay, because I have this other thing that I'm already doing, which is fine. So. Exactly. Um, and when I interviewed for that same school, I was in literally the opposite position which is i really (laughs) really 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 needed a job badly because i had just gone through my like alternative certification process and the last part of that process was i had to have i had um what's like um probationary license i can't remember i think provisional yes that's the word thank you i need provisional license which lasted for three years yeah and I had to have one successful full-time year of teaching within that three years in order to get my full five-year legit teaching license. Also, my family was like super broke and <laughs> I had been working as an office temp for like two years. And so I needed a real grown-up job, you know, with like health insurance. And um, and I needed to get a teaching job that I could complete a year of successful teaching in order to get my full license to complete the program. So, so the pressure like, was on. It was, it was on baby. It was on. <laughs> and, um, so I went to some, you know, teaching job fair or whatever. And, uh, you know, sort of on a lark gave my resume to the HR representative for Spotsy County. And I thought it's kind of at the edge of my like, where I'm willing to commute to, but whatever. That's right, because you're a county yeah. or two over. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, I got um, I got a call for one school. It was a middle school. I went into that interview. It was unlike any other interview I have ever been in my life, and I've been in a lot of interviews. It was like, it was bizarre to me um, because I felt like I was like on the firing squad. It was a, like... Three oh, no. or four people committee. By panel? Yeah, it's like a uh. panel interview, and they all had this list of like prescribed questions uh. to ask, and they just like rotated through and each asked me. First person asked question number one. Second person asked question number two, uh. and I felt like I was being given an oral exam, and it was horrible. I hated <laughs> it. I did not get called back. I did very badly in that interview um, because I was just so like, "What is happening?" <laughs> and, um, and I remember at one point. Um, one of the interviewers asked me about like PLCs and I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I still is. don't know what it stands for. Yeah. And he's like, it's a no, professional really. learning it? community or something like that. Oh. And you know, where you do common planning. I was like, Oh, I know about common, common planning. I learned about that. Like I can talk about that, but like, I just didn't get the jargon yet. Yes. So I just felt like I was failing this test. I was, it didn't feel like an interview. It felt like an oral exam. Oh. It was horrible. So and I went later and I thought, I'm not going to get called back because I did really badly. I knew that. But also, I didn't want to get called back. Mm-mm. I didn't want to work there. It seems so weird. Like, why would you that do that? Because if that was the interview process, yeah. that was how the work environment was Yeah, exactly. Feel. Exactly. And that's not fun. 
And then the next interview was at a different high school. And I really liked that interview. Um, I thought I did well. I really liked, I met with the principal and the head of the math department and it was more conversational. Um, and I felt like I did really well, but they never called back either. And I later found out that I'm pretty sure that they already knew who they were going to hire. And it was just this like process that they had to go oh. through of interviewing so many people, which was fine. Because then I got a call back from this school where we taught. And um, and my interview was at the very end of the school year before it was like during finals week. Oh, so, wow. yeah, I went in. I met with the principal and the head of the math department. And, yeah, they're both like, you know, we're in like jeans and school <laughs> polos because it's the last week of school. And the head of the math department was wearing uh, sandals. And I saw that she had a tattoo on her foot. And I was like, same, oh, same. yeah, okay. She it's going to be okay. Interview. It's going to be okay. Because <laughs> um, I had a, um, a tattoo on the back of my neck. And and so I was like, you know, I can cover it up if I need to. But I don't want to have to worry about that every day. Right. And, um, but I was in there. I was like full of energy. I had my... Like my power color is like, uh, like Pepto-Bismol pink. Like that's <laughs> my color that I feel like really, really strong in. So I had this dress like, and I had this like gray pinstripe blazer and my dress shoes. And I was like on it and I had my portfolio, <laughs> like two copies and I had emailed them stuff ahead of time. I was on it because I needed this job yes. and I get there and they're like super chill <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh yeah and it was great and I got the same feeling of like I could see myself working here and I feel like I wish that more teachers got to have choices like that where you know they interviewed a couple of places and it's like that one is not my scene it's yes, not good for me yes and then oh actually this place because i feel like there are also teachers who would go into an interview like that and be like why is everything so relaxed it feels so unprofessional i don't yes. think i would be happy yes. here and then would have an option to go to someplace else right um because i feel like it's one of the reasons why i had such a good experience teaching there was that the administrator in charge of the math department and the head of the math department did a really good job of cultivating a team. Yes. Of hiring people who they felt would work well together, who would be part of this, who would be willing to collaborate. It was an extremely collaborative <laughs> department and who, you know, not only are professional teachers, but the kind of people who would work well together and really did a good job, I think, of putting together a team. And I think in any workplace, that's important. And I Definitely. feel like it doesn't always happen in in schools. No, it does not. It's <laughs> it what I hear anyway. So, yeah. no, good question. Yeah. Yeah. Good All topic. Right. Yeah. Good episode. This is a good episode. Right. And this is like our ninth one, I think. I think so. We are on a roll. Next time, double digits. That's right. All right. Bye. Bye.